Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about issues of the day from a biblical perspective, as well as highlights from interviews, conferences, and events. Here's Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. During this edition, a message from Dr. Rob Reno on reclaiming the sufficiency of the scripture. Dr. Reno is the author of several books and a conference speaker. He and his wife, Amy, lead Visionary Family Ministries. Their mission is to build the church through a global reformation of family discipleship. Here are Dr. Reno's remarks from the Illinois Family Institute's 2022 Worldview Conference at the Village Church of Barrington. I want to talk about reclaiming the lost doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. Well, let me begin with a true story, and it's a story about trust. I was leading a marriage conference down in St. Louis, and a couple friend of Amy's and mine uh, came up and told us about a, a marriage communication experiment that they ran in their marriage. They said they were just really having a hard time with communication. They were really having a hard time with trusting each other. So they came up with this idea. They were avid bike riders. They came up with this idea that when they would go bike riding, uh, one of them, let's say him first, he would close his eyes while he was riding his bike and his wife would verbally direct him what needed to happen. Okay, come back a little to the right. Okay, slow down. Right, you get the sense? And then they'd switch and then she'd close her eyes and he would direct as they went along. So on one of these days, and they're relaying this story to me, on one of these days, my friend, the husband, says, okay, I, I have got to trust my wife. I am not going to open my eyes under any circumstances until, unless she tells me to open my eyes, right, or stop or trouble or something like that. So he gets going and closes his eyes, and he's pedaling, and not a, not a peep from her. Not a slow down, not a move to the left, not a move to the right, and he's like, I am not opening my eyes under any circumstances. Pedal, 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 bam! Right into the back of a car. People sitting in the car, they're parked on the side of the street. So as far as they're concerned, somebody just rammed right full bore into them. Now, not only is, is he hurt and shaken up, but he's also thinking, my marriage is over. My, my wife just ran me into the back of a car. Well, what he didn't know is that she thought it was her turn. And they both had their eyes closed. <laughs> and his crash is what made her open her eyes to see what had happened. So he was glad his marriage was spared at that moment. But this would be a classic illustration of the blind, what? Leading, Leading the blind. Exactly right. Did you know that that phrase comes from Jesus? In Matthew chapter 15, he's confronting the religious leaders. He's saying, you're blind guides, and you're like the blind leading the blind. And there's a lot of times in Scripture, God confronts his people. And he says, you know, you're just doing what's right in your own eyes. You're not following me. You're following yourself. You're following the wisdom of the world. And I'm convinced that much of the confusion and struggle in the church today is that we're slipping in regards to an essential doctrine of our faith. And that doctrine is the sufficiency of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture. Now, this was a doctrine for many years of my Christian life, even many years as a pastor, I was clueless about. I had heard about the authority of God's Word. 
I had been taught the inerrancy of God's word, and they're essential. But today I want to show you from the Bible that God's word's not only true, it's enough, that it's sufficient for every matter of faith and practice, and that holding fast to this teaching and teaching it to our children is vital for keeping the faith and sharing the good news of Jesus with the world. The first scripture we're going to look at is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. The apostle Paul is writing to his young disciple Timothy, who is a pastor in the church, and he writes this, all scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There was a great debate in the late 19th and early 20th century over the authority of the Bible. Christians were wrestling with the question, is the Bible true? Is it trustworthy? Can we trust it as the word of God, not just the words of men? And within the, the evangelical church, we won the debate. In other words, if I were to come into the, this church tomorrow morning and ask for a show of hands, how many of you believe the Bible is God's word and that it's true? Almost every hand in this room would go up. So the 20th century question was, is the Bible true? Can we trust it? Here's what I think is the 21st century question. Is the Bible enough? Is it sufficient? Or do we need to give it some help with our modern wisdom, our modern insight, the genius of mankind? And this really has been the core struggle from the beginning of history. Genesis chapter 3, God's made Adam and Eve. Satan comes to them. Anybody know the very first words? Out of the mouth of Satan recorded in Scripture? Yeah, you know it. Did God actually say, the serpent's more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made? He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? In other words, step one, he's got to get her unhooked from God's words. Every temptation is connected to that. Let me show you this in many places in the scripture. Deuteronomy 12, 32. Everything, everything I command you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take away from it. Proverbs 30, 5 and 6. Every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and prove you a liar. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. They're having all sorts of divisions and conflicts in the church. He writes to them and says this in 1 Corinthians 4, 6. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what's written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one, of one against another. Over and over, God says in the Bible, don't take away from my words, right? Don't cut passages out of my word. That's rebellion. But did you know, more frequently, God says, don't add to my words. Why? It's enough. It's sufficient for every matter of faith and practice. Let me go back to 2 Timothy 3. All scripture breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. It's profitable for four things. Look at this. Number one, teaching. That's how to think rightly. Rebuking, how not to think wrongly. Correcting, how not to act wrongly. And training in righteousness, how to act rightly. Is there anything not covered in this list? Everything you're going to think about, everything you're going to do, spoken to by God in his book. Let me, let me ask you a, a few opinion questions here, and if, if the answer is yes, you can just raise your hand. Raise your hand if you believe the Bible's God's Word. 
Put your hand up for me. All right, very good. Raise your hand if you believe the Bible is true and all that it intends to say. Very good. Raise your hand if you're willing to submit your thoughts and opinions on every subject to what it says. Raise your hand if you're willing to do what it says, even if you don't want to. All right, let's review. How many of you said the Bible's God's word? Oh, yes, Rob, word of God. How many of you believe the Bible's true? Authority of Scripture, absolutely. How many of you are willing to submit your thoughts and opinions on every subject to what it says? <laughs> yeah, how many of you are willing to do what it says, even if you don't want to? Now, listen, on that question, I'm not asking you a question about willful disobedience. Willful disobedience is I know God says do A. I don't want to do A. I'm doing B. Raise your hand if you're personally familiar with willful disobedience. You ought to all raise your hand right now. Okay. That's not what I'm talking about. That, that person does not have an, a problem with the authority of the Bible. They just don't want to do it, to which we should all have plenty of moments in our lives where we can relate. What I'm talking about is this, to say, well, you know, I, I, I kind of like to move in with my girlfriend, sort of makes sense uh, to me. And, and I, listen, I mean, I know the Bible says that, 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 you know, we save all that stuff for marriage and stuff, but the Bible's written a long time ago. And if God were to make a 21st century version, I'm sure he'd update that. Um, so here's what you've got. You see, you can have a person today who says, I love Jesus, but I don't completely believe the Bible. And those two things can't exist together. Now, friends, I, I, don't, I don't want to in any way minimize the, the struggle with this doctrine. This is not a popular doctrine. This is not the Disney message of trust your heart, it will never lead you astray. This is the opposite. Do not trust your heart. It's desperately wicked. Don't trust yourself. Quick story. My favorite pizza shop uh, back home, West Chicago, Wheaton area, Capri Pizza. Capri, you can get a slice and a Coke for $4.25. So one day I go into Capri, I get like a slice of pepperoni and a Coke, please. And uh, they, they hand, they go over to the fountain, they get the Coke, they hand it to me, and I'm, I'm thirsty, so I just take a sip right away, and oh, it just tastes horrible. Some, the mixture right on the machine was out of whack. And I say, I, you know, I'm a regular. I'm, I'm sorry. I think the mixture's out of whack. They say, oh, I'll say sorry. Okay, well, give me, give me a, a diet. So they go and they give me a diet and I take a sip. I'm like, oh, I'm, look it, I am really sorry, but you're, something is wrong with that machine. Just give me a can. I'll take a can from the fridge. No, yes, Rob, absolutely. So sorry, I'll get that fixed. So I go out in my car. I sit down and pop my can of Coke and take a sip. Oh, horrible. And I'm like, whoa, time out now. Something's going on. And then it hits me. I'm leaving for Bolivia in a couple days. And I had just started taking some anti-altitude sickness medicine. So I Google the name of this medicine and side effects. It says, makes pop taste like metal. <laughs> so was there anything wrong with the machine? the restaurant, right? Well, of course, they're calling the repair guys, right? And, you know, did I go back in and apologize? No, I am out of there, right? <laughs> but, but there was, right, nothing wrong with it, right? My ability to discern the truth or taste the truth was, was all, uh, all out of whack, okay? So, friends, because of our sinful hearts, we live in a constant state of being out of whack. We always see things upside down and backwards, which is why God's given us his word, your word's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let me show you something that I did not understand for years of my Christian life uh, as it relates to Scripture. The Bible gives us truth at four levels. God, God gives us truth at four levels in the Word of God, but I, I only understood two levels. Level one, God gives us His truth, which we might call doctrine. 
God also gives us his will. That would be right and wrong, how God wants us to live our lives. That would be righteousness. But God also gives us his ways, his methodology, how do we follow God? And then God gives us his call. Not only does God tell us what he wants done, but a lot of times in the Bible, he tells us who he wants to do it. So he's got instructions for fathers. He's got instructions for pastors. He's got instructions for government leaders. So let me give you an example. Let's say you have a friend who uh, has just come to Christ and they're growing in their faith. And they come to you and they say, okay, you've been telling me that, that God is a personal God. Is that true or false? True, that's doctrine. You've also been telling me that God wants me to worship him in spirit and truth. True or false? Okay, that's truth and that's God's will. So, so here's what I've been doing. I, I go in my backyard at night, I make a fire and I like, I, I jump in the fire and I take out the coals and I scratch myself. And, and when I do that to my body, it makes me feel very in touch with the divine spirit. Now, I'm your friend, right? You love me, you care about me. Uh, at that point, would you want to intervene a little? Okay, so, all right, so, whoa, time out. So you're actually saying I'm worshiping God wrongly? Okay, no more jumping in the fire and cutting myself with stones. What should I do? Give me some things. I, I really want to worship God. What can I do? Give me concrete things. Sing, pray, read the word, fellowship, serve. Where, where, okay, you just gave me some very concrete methods. Where'd you get your methods? The Bible and the Bible alone. You see, you used scripture not just for the truth and not just for what God wants, but how God wants it done. Now, let me connect this to the fourth level, this principle of, of jurisdiction. So much of the confusion in the church and culture right now is because we've lost the doctrine of jurisdiction. But let me give you um, a, a jurisdictional example. God loves children, true or false? True. God wants children to hear the gospel, true or false? All right. Now let's think about jurisdiction. Does God give this responsibility to any particular jurisdiction, individual, family, church, government? Who does God call to be the primary spiritual trainers of their kids? Moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. So, okay, whoa, time out. You mean I can't just drop them off at Sunday school and have the church do it? No, I can't just send them to Christian school and have the Christian school do it. No, listen, Sunday school and Christian school can make a huge difference in the life of a child, but they're not God's primary method and primary jurisdiction for helping children follow Jesus. They're the reinforcements. They're the vitamin boosts to the meals that children are getting in the home. I actually had a parent tell me, I don't need to talk to my kids about sexuality because they have assemblies at school that take care of that. See, teaching about sexuality is moral instruction, right? So now the secular government is going to do moral instruction. This is a jurisdictional violation. It's not a disaster waiting to happen. It's a disaster that has happened. So, so if the church takes over the job of the family or the school takes over the job of the family, what happens? Well, the, the task doesn't get done. Because God's created distinct jurisdictions to do different things. And if you ignore God's jurisdictions, then the proper jurisdiction gets robbed of motivation, time, and resources to, to do the job. So many more examples I could give you. Dr. Rob Reno on the sufficiency of the scripture. More on that topic from Dr. Reno after a brief time out.
For Muslims, tomorrow is the start of a month of prayer and fasting. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. Tomorrow is the start of Ramadan, a month of prayer and fasting for Muslims worldwide. It's also a good month for Christians to pray that Muslims will find Christ. During this very intense time for Muslims, not only are they seeking atonement for sin, they're actively seeking to know God. Christianity Today cites five reasons that Muslims are attracted to Christ, the lifestyle of Christians, the power of God in answered prayers and healing, dissatisfaction with the type of Islam they experience, spiritual truth in the Bible, and biblical teachings about the love of God. In recent years, scores of reports from the Muslim world testify how God has actively used dreams, visions, missionaries, and others to draw Muslims to himself. So let's pray for open hearts and additional opportunities. And for 29 years now, the 30 days of prayer for the Muslim world has guided Christians in their prayers for Muslims during Ramadan. It's a great way to learn about Islam, great way to teach kids how Jesus is what Muslims are really looking for. Go to 30daysprayer.com. That's 30daysprayer.com. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. During this edition, we're featuring a message about reclaiming the sufficiency of the Scripture. Dr. Rob Reno, his remarks were recorded during the IFI 2022 Worldview Conference at the Village Church of Barrington. Dr. Reno is an author, and he and his wife Amy lead Visionary Family Ministries. What I want you to go away from today, for a lot of you, you're just like where I was a, a couple decades ago, that you, you, you believe the Bible's true, you believe the Bible's God's Word, but what I'm teaching you right now, that it's sufficient, that it's enough, is a new concept for you. And you're going to go home and I want you to dig into it. What is he talking about? The sufficiency of Scripture. Let me picture this another way with an illustration from Francis Schaeffer. This is how Christians viewed the Bible for the first 1900 years of Christianity. In the center of the Bible, we have its teaching on religion, and I'm using that as a positive word. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What is heaven? What is hell? What is right? What is wrong? Religion stuff. But the Bible also spoke to how we handle our money, the nature of marriage, the job of the husband, the job of the wife, the purpose of the church, the role of the family, science, history, government, education. In other words, the Bible spoke to real life, I'm not saying religion's not real life. I'm saying practical life. So when any believer had an issue on anything in real life, they would go to God's Word to say, well, what has God said about this? But the shift that happened in the 20th century is this. We still go to the Bible for religion in many of our churches. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What is heaven? What is hell? How are we saved? What's right? What's wrong? But if the question on the table is, how do I handle my money? Well, I don't necessarily need the Bible for that. If it's the nature of marriage, not necessarily need the Bible for that. If it's how are we going to structure our church, how are we going to structure our worship service, don't necessarily need the Bible for that. Quick illustration on that. We work with churches on multi-generational ministry. And one of the things we help churches with is having a multi-generational vision for the corporate worship service. Why? Because all the way through the Old Testament and all the way through the New Testament, that's what God says his people did. When they gathered for worship, it was all the ages together. So sufficiency of Scripture, lunatic, says, well, if that's what God said they did in the Bible, then I guess that's what we should do, too. Do you think that Christ would have left us his bride without explicit instructions as to how to take care of her? So you see what happens. If this is the way we view the Bible, then we get to have Jesus on Sunday morning, but we really don't need him Monday through Saturday. We really don't need the Scriptures during that period. Because for real life, we need human creativity. We need human wisdom. 
But I want to suggest to you the Bible's sufficient for money and marriage and church and family and science and government and history and education. Now, I know some of you at this point, you're like, whoa, 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 time out. Sounding a little crazy here. You mean the Bible's sufficient for science. Let me give that a shot. Super important clarification. When we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, we're not saying the Bible's exhaustive. Exhaustive means everything that can be known is there. Well, that's not true. Certainly with the science part, there's no microbiology in the Bible, to my knowledge. There's no real astrophysics in the Bible, uh, to my knowledge. No nuclear fusion. But, but everything you need to know about science is there. Everything you need to know about how to do science rightly is there. So, for instance, what do I mean by that? Well, if you're going to do science, you have to know that God created the world. That an ordered, rational God created an ordered, rational universe, which is why it's worth studying you're going to find order and rationality. Second thing you need to know, in order to do science properly, you have to know that human beings are not animals. You know, in your biology book, there's two kingdoms. There's the plant kingdom and the animal kingdom. And you'll find yourself in that biology book in the animal kingdom under mammal. Do you know that? Okay, if you pure taxonomy, okay, yeah, I have hair and I'm warm-blooded and yeah, okay, I get it. There's some mammalian characteristics, all right? But if you use the Bible as sufficient for science, you're, there's not plants and animals. God created three types of things. He created plants. He created animals. He created people. Human beings are a totally separate category from the animals. And you're like, Bob, come on. What, what are we talking about biology? What does this have to do with anything? It has to do with everything. It was in the 1800s that atheistic evolution clearly moved man into the category of animal. And then in the 1900s, it's the bloodiest century in human history. And now millions of people think there's utmost urgency in saving the swamp newt, right? While we're euthanizing our parents and we don't care about the babies in the womb. You also have to know that God says things reproduce after their kinds. Do you know God says that over and over and over again in the first chapter? It reproduced after its kind. It reproduced after its kind. Now, the giraffes adapt, and they get longer necks over generations, but they're still giraffes. But there's no rat cats. There's no fish birds. And people are like, oh, Rob, flying fish, flying fish. It's not a fish bird. It's a fish. God made it jump and fly a little. So again, these are not like random truths. They set the base for real life and real issues. The issue of race is front and center right now in our culture. Race wars, race conflicts everywhere we turn. And God gives us the essential starting point to shine for him with love and justice and equality on this issue. And what's that essential starting point? It's very simple, that God made only one race, human. Every single person made in the image of God, and they share equal value, worth, and dignity. And it's a sin, therefore, to ever judge anyone down or up based on the color of their skin, based on the language that they speak, based on the food that they eat. You know, in fact, this is what the word race has always meant. Webster Dictionary, 1828. What is race? It's the lineage of a family or continued series of descendants from a parent who is called the stock a race is the series of descendants indefinitely. Thus, all mankind are called the race of Adam. And you can say, you know, you want to change the definition of words. I'm not playing that game. Words mean things. And that's what it means. See, if, listen, if we start with the evolutionary view, 
that there are multiple races. And Christians start with that. You're starting from a lie. It's going to end up in race wars and then real wars. I can show you biology books from the 1920s where, where they have the, the, the apes and the evolutionary chains and the white European as the most evolved, least ape-like. What an evil, backwards lie from the devil. The Bible doesn't teach that. It teaches we're all one race with equal value, worth, and dignity. But you see, friends, Hitler believed that stuff. Margaret Sanger believed that stuff, which is why she put her Planned Parenthood abortion mills disproportionately in black neighborhoods. I read a recent study that since 1973, Planned Parenthood has single-handedly reduced the black population in our nation by 25%. See, she was committed to eugenics. What is that? It's breeding better people. And the difficulty with this message, of course, is talking about a doctrine that applies to every area of life. Here's my uh, challenge to you, uh, and then I'm going to give you a conclusion. If you believe in the truth of the Bible without believing it's sufficient, you'll be vulnerable to humanism, legalism, and existentialism. Any word of God can be made equal. Any word of man, excuse me, can be made equal with the word of God. And before we know it, we've been taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend upon human tradition rather than on Christ. At the end of the day, th this is not only about holding firmly to the faith that we've received. It's about bearing fruit. It's about making a difference in this world for Jesus. This is how Christ himself explained it. He shared a parable with his disciples, parable about a sower who went out to sow his seed. And some of the seed fell on the path and some on the rocks and some on the good soil. But the disciples were confused about the meaning of the parable. So Jesus explains it uh, to them. Then Jesus said to them, this is uh, Mark chapter four. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? In other words, Jesus is like, look guys, this was an easy one, all right? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no fruit, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, now I'm going to skip something here, like others, like seed sown on good soil, produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Obviously, Jesus' intent here is that I want you to be that good soil. I want you to produce a crop. So what, what is the descriptor or the differentiator for those that want to produce a crop? Jesus says this, others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word and accept it, and they produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes with me, and we're going to pray and humble our hearts before the Lord in this area. Heavenly Father, we, we do humble ourselves before you. We confess because of uh, the deceptiveness of our own hearts, we always want to put our word ahead of yours. We always want to put our wisdom ahead of yours. 
It's a, it's a real blow to our pride to even admit that, that we don't have all the answers. So I ask God that you'd give us a desire for your word. Would you convict and convince us of the truth that Jesus taught that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And I pray, Lord, that you'd let us not only be hearers of the word, but doers of it as well for your glory and the advance of your kingdom and the gospel of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Dr. Rob Reno, during the 2022 IFI Worldview Conference at the Village Church of Barrington. To find out more about Dr. Reno and his work, go to visionaryfam.com and go to illinoisfamily.org to order free copies of the IFI 2022 Illinois Primary Nonpartisan Voter Guide. The guide lets you know where the candidates stand on life, education, and other key issues. Please support the work of the Illinois Family Institute. All donations are tax-deductible. And tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless. For more information about Illinois Family Spotlight, visit ifiaction.org. And to email questions and comments, do so at feedback at ifiaction.org.